more and more Israelis are calling for their fellow Jews worldwide to immigrate to Israel because they believe the handwriting is on the wall. It's becoming increasingly clear that the worst case scenario of repetitive anti-Semitism is inevitable, and ultimately, there's only safety for the Jewish people in the land of Israel. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dard. According to the New York City Police Department, 94% of the reported incidents of violence between 2018 and 2022 were committed against Orthodox Jews, primarily in the Hasidic neighborhoods. Unfortunately, according to respondents to a new survey, one in four of the younger evangelicals say their faith leaders hold anti-Semitic beliefs. Meanwhile, in 2022, in one year alone, the United Nations General Assembly approved 15 anti-Israel resolutions as compared to 13 against all other countries combined. And since 2015, the General Assembly has adopted 140 resolutions against the Jewish state. By comparison, in the same time frame, the UN passed 68 resolutions against all other countries combined. Particularly prejudiced against Israel is the European Union, which in 2022 voted for one resolution each to criticize troublesome nations like Iran, Syria, North Korea, and there were six resolutions on Russia's war in Ukraine. But by contrast, EU states voted for 10 resolutions against tiny Israel, while these same EU states failed to introduce a single resolution this past year on the human rights situations in China, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Cuba, Turkey, Pakistan, and so forth. I've watched anti-Semitism and general lawlessness rapidly spreading over society just too many negative things are happening that point to impending danger. The trends are tragically reminiscent of the 1930s, when Jews were hounded out of German university. And now a rerun of an almost identical pattern of anti-Semitism is happening. This time, shockingly, at colleges and universities in America and Britain. As noted in Dr. Michael Brown's new book about council culture, The Silencing of the Lambs, a recent survey at Harvard found that conservatives make up just over 1% of the school's faculty. And according to the Gatestone Institute, a new report paints a stark picture of an ever-increasing, intensifying, and carefully coordinated campaign of attacks on Jewish identity at over 60% of American colleges and universities that are popular with Jews. Since 2015, there have been 2,000 incidents intended to harm Jewish students. It's just too much to ignore. Blatant, 
anti-Semitic attacks on social media are also increasingly repulsive and vile. Although anti-Semitism has been around for centuries, until recently, Jew hatred online was frowned upon. But now Jews are regularly beaten on the streets. As Israeli tech columnist and podcaster Hillel Fould recently wrote, the Jewish people living in the diaspora should take a realistic look at their situation. Hillel is scared for Jews living in the United States, in Europe, and anywhere else except Israel. And he's urging them, come home, people, come home. You might feel safe for the time being, but you must read the writing on the wall. Hillel said, in America, you can succeed despite being a Jew, but in Israel, you can succeed because you are a Jew. And he added, don't kid yourself. The pot is about to boil over. Meanwhile, Bible prophecy headlines continue to scream regarding various activities on Jerusalem's Temple Mount. At this present time, there's actually strong grassroots support for reinstating the Passover offering specifically on the Temple Mount location. But this trend was not always the case. The Temple Mount movement was once considered a fringe religious movement in Israeli society, but gradually and then suddenly it's become mainstream. Former White House envoy to Middle East Jason Greenblatt recently questioned why the current U.S. administration endorses a policy which discriminates against Jews at Judaism's holiest site. In a world where people of good faith are attempting to fight against all sorts of discrimination, Greenblatt asked, why is the discrimination against Jews and Jewish prayer at the holiest site for Jews still demanded? Well, Raphael Morris, an activist who leads a movement called Return to the Mount, told Israel 365 News that there are growing numbers of Israelis who support Jewish presence on the Temple Mount. Morris pointed to the exponential growth in the number of Jews regularly ascending the mount. Just to put things in perspective, Morris noted that 100 years ago, it would have been considered an incitement against the Arabs to talk about the return of a Jewish state within the ancient land of Israel. And 80 years ago, it would have been considered an incitement to talk about Jews praying at the Western Wall or in the city of Hebron. But time has a way of making things acceptable. And now the world needs to comprehend that the biblical Passover sacrifice ceremony called the Korban Pesach is in fact a binding commandment upon the Jewish nation that they performed for thousands of years in Jerusalem before they were dispersed. So in light of Jewish history, Raphael Morris claims that Biblical worship through animal sacrifice should be considered a normal thing. Morris believes only a small step is necessary to reestablish sacrifices on the Temple Mount, the only locale where it's believed biblically that Jews can perform hundreds of commandments described in the Hebrew Bible. Furthermore, Morris said the Temple Mount is not just Judaism's most holy site, He said, it is, in effect, our only holy site. 
He said, without the Temple Mount, we cannot be Torah Jews. Furthermore, Morris carefully noted that not bringing the Korban Pesach, the Passover offering to God, biblically, will result in the punishment called karat, the most severe punishment described in the Bible, spiritual death being cut off from the people of God as a consequence of sin. Since King David consecrated the Temple Mount 3,000 years ago, it has been the heart of Judaism and the only place Jews can perform the Passover sacrifice. Morris emphasized that the Passover offering is prepared and consumed in a respectful manner, and although there are certainly many modern critics of animal sacrifice, few people are criticizing the Samaritans. They are a small Israelite sect in Israel who, every Passover, have carried out virtually the same ritual since Bible days. In fact, people come from all over the world, as we have, to observe the Samaritan ceremony which preserves the ancient biblical practice with a priesthood, a high priest, and putting the blood of the animals over the doorpost of their houses. All of this is reminiscent of the first Passover amongst the Israelites in Egypt. Well, sentiment in Israel is keeping up with prophetic times. Just 10 years ago, the temple reenactments were described in the Israeli media as incitement carried out by religious extremists. But now public opinion has changed to the point that Jewish temple events are considered a positive cultural contribution to Israeli society. And Israelis in general are more willing instead to point to Arab threats of violence against their presence on the Temple Mount. Well, if the government gives the okay for an official sacrifice and not just a rehearsal off-premises, Everything will already be in place to jumpstart the biblical ritual this year. Even the likelihood of such an event should alert Bible prophecy watchers to the nearness of the rapture and the second coming of Messiah Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. At this point in time, religious Jews have in place everything they need to perform the sacrifice, and they have been practicing for over a decade and learning as they've gone along how their ancestors functioned in biblical Judea and Israel. Returning Jews to the land, in fact, are experiencing an ongoing and fascinating learning process. For example, before waves of Aliyah returned to Israel, the Jewish inhabitants had forgotten practically how to perform the Shemitah. That's the biblical agricultural sabbatical that allows the land to rest every seven years. But the Shemitah has made a comeback. Now also, the Israeli Kohanim, the priests, are much better prepared to reinstitute Passover offerings. Every year, Jewish activists try to offer the sacrifice in its proper place and time. In past years, several applications were submitted to Israel police in order to fulfill the commandment in an approved and coordinated manner. But this year, in light of the political situation and the establishment of a right-wing government, there's the actual possibility that the offering of the Passover sacrifice will be carried out by a large group of Jews in a permitted manner authorized by Israeli police, which is now reportedly under the authority of the new right-wing minister 
of national security. So the Return to the Mountain movement believes this present time is a golden opportunity to renew the Passover sacrifice and to fulfill the biblical mandate for the first time in about 2,000 years, a move that Orthodox Jews believe will advance what they call the Golah, Jewish redemption. They believe their actions will be recorded in the pages of history as the beginning of the building of a third Jewish temple. Their hope, of course, is extremely prophetic, according to Bible prophecies concerning the end times, because evangelical Bible scholars realize that a third temple is a harbinger of the rise of the Antichrist, who, according to Daniel 9.27, will put a stop to these reinstituted sacrifices. Then will follow a seven-year period known in Bible prophecy as Jacob's trouble prior to the return of Jesus to take charge of this planet and to rule from David's throne from Jerusalem. I recall watching a video just a few years ago posted by religious Orthodox Jews of a young Israeli man who was about 15 years old at the time who had experienced an out-of-the-body experience in which he said he was assured that when Messiah comes, all of Israel will be surprised concerning Messiah's identity. In the video, the young man kept emphasizing that the Messiah's identity will be a surprise. Indeed, the New Testament teaches that after being disillusioned by the future anti-Messiah, the biggest surprise to Israel will be to discover at long last that their Messiah all along was indeed Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the son of David. Worldwide recently, the Jewish people read through the annual Torah reading in the book of Genesis, including the blessed episode when Joseph, who was exalted from slavery and prison to be governor in Egypt, revealed his true identity to his estranged brethren, the other sons of Jacob, and how shocked Joseph's brothers were to learn that he was not only alive, but he was exalted to rulership in Egypt and that they had to bow down to him. So also Israel will be shocked and devastated to learn that Jesus is their Messiah. But the glorious redemption will finally come when they receive this revelation that he is alive and he is Messiah. This Bible fact is prophesied specifically in prophecies such as Zechariah chapter 12, which tells about the Holy Spirit being outpoured in the last days on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And verse 10 says, they will look upon the pierced Messiah and they will mourn bitterly for him. And they will receive him and he will receive them. Well, with so much Bible prophecy already unfolding before our eyes, you would think that the church would be excited about Bible prophecy and eagerly watching events in Israel coming to a climax. But sadly, evangelical Zionists are the only ones who seem to have any real understanding of the times. However, we should not be surprised at biblical illiteracy in the churches because Bible prophecy predicted a great apostasy in the church in the last days. 
So we must understand the times in which we are engaged in major spiritual warfare. In fact, a recent survey of 1,000 Christian pastors across seven major denominations revealed that only 37% of clergy hold to a biblical worldview. Most shocking is the percentage of pastors in evangelical denominations who don't uphold biblical beliefs any longer. The survey was conducted by evangelical pollster George Barna at Arizona Christian University. My father of blessed memory, an evangelical pastor and a leader for many years in his denomination, would be shocked if he were alive to know that amongst pastors surveyed who claim to be evangelical, 30% said that they don't believe that their salvation is based exclusively on Jesus as their Savior. That's tragic and very troubling. Every evangelical should know that salvation is through Jesus only, not Jesus plus something else. Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. And why is that? He said that if a soul is not born again, he or she cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Being born again, born from above, is the hallmark requirement for salvation. When we put our trust solely in the Savior and he enters into our lives forever, we become born again. Hallelujah. But shockingly, only 62% of the pastors polled said that they believe that human life is sacred. Furthermore, 39% of so-called evangelical pastors reject absolute moral truth and instead contend that each individual must determine their own truth. Let's stop for a moment and define a biblical worldview. So a biblical worldview is a way of experiencing, interpreting, and responding to reality that's consistent with biblical precepts and perspectives. But presently, according to George Barna's survey, only about one in three pastors is willing to interpret the world through the lens of Holy Scripture. That means only one in every three pastors believes in God's Word to such an extent that their life is driven and directed by biblical truth. What does the word evangelical even mean if a pastor doesn't believe in the scriptures and doesn't teach biblical truths to their congregations. According to George Barna, a biblical worldview is comprised of the following seven points. Number one, God is the eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, and just creator. Number two, humans are sinful by nature. The world doesn't want to accept this, but it's what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. Three, Jesus grants forgiveness of sins and eternal life whenever sinners are willing to repent and to profess their faith in him alone as Savior. Four, the Bible is true, reliable, and always relevant. Number five, absolute moral truth does exist. Six, in a worldview. Success is defined as consistent obedience to God. And number seven characteristic of a biblical worldview, life's purpose is to know, love, and serve God with all of one's heart, mind, strength, and soul. 
Over and against every competing worldview, the Bible draws a red line in Romans 12, 2, stating, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, our mind has to be washed by this word. In other words, the only way to see all of life accurately is through the transforming lens of Holy Scripture. But unfortunately, the trend is that most believers in the West are willing to blend their Christian beliefs with other secular or non-Christian beliefs to create a customized worldview. Some have called this dangerous adoption of merging beliefs buffet-style Christianity or cafeteria Christianity, in which a person decides to pick and choose what they want to believe. But when their beliefs contradict the teachings of the Word of God, that's just plain rebellion. Worldview is important because inevitably a person does what he or she believes. Is it any surprise today that many of our political leaders claim to be Christians but fail to defend biblical standards? And because pastors teach whatever they decide to believe, many churches are becoming centers of syncretism and secular thought. Perhaps even without realizing it, many pastors have led their congregations away from God toward narcissism and the preaching of success for living, teachings that people could learn from a secular life coach or from a motivational speaker. The bottom line is that, sadly, secular culture is influencing Christians more than Christians are influencing the culture. And the problem lies primarily with the pastors. How many pastors do you know who will dare to preach on Bible prophecy? Many pastors today are afraid to preach the full counsel of God's Word. As a result, we have professing Christians who are hesitant to live out genuine faith. But in 2 Peter 2.1, the Bible warns us to beware that there will be false teachers who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master, Jesus. These false teachers aren't preparing their congregations for the dangers we're facing, such as Soviet-style thought policing. We think the loss of freedoms couldn't happen in the West and in the USA, the land of the free, but it's already happening. A woman in the UK was arrested for praying silent, nonverbal prayers in her head as she stood near an abortion facility. She wasn't speaking, protesting, or even holding a sign, yet she was arrested for what the police thought she was thinking. So now people are being punished even for what? They are thinking in the theaters of their own minds. California recently signed into law an anti-free speech, anti-First Amendment law, which allows the state medical board to revoke the licenses of people who allegedly spread, quote, misinformation. Well, thought crime is a word coined by George Orwell in his novel 1984 to describe a person's politically incorrect and politically unacceptable thoughts in a totalitarian regime. In Canada, Jordan Peterson is a psychologist and a very opinionated social media star, and he hasn't hesitated to express himself for which he was banned on Twitter, but was subsequently reinstated by Elon Musk. Nevertheless, in Canada, Peterson has been ordered into mandatory social media communication retraining. 
The Daily Mail reported that Peterson had criticized Canadian lawmakers for banning discrimination on gender. He stated men should grow up. He also dared to criticize a plus-size swimsuit model. Well, we used to live in a world where the airing of such nonviolent opinions was allowed without retribution. Peterson is reportedly appealing the latest action against him, but this level of harassment will continue until societies collectively decide that they've had enough of being bullied. But it's also a sign that we're nearing the second coming of Jesus. I want to conclude today's update by mentioning an article by Charles Gardner published by Prophecy Today magazine. It's about the role the hymn Amazing Grace played in Israel's eventual restoration. You know, the hymn starts out, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So how is this 244-year-old well-known hymn connected with Israel? Amazing Grace was written by John Newton, a hardened sinner involved in the Atlantic slave trade. While aboard a slave ship, Newton gained notoriety as one of the most profane men the captain had ever met. However, Newton was converted after praying for mercy during a furious storm at sea. Now the thoroughly changed born-again John Newton became a key witness in the long campaign for the abolition of slavery spearheaded by British politician William Wilberforce. Newton and his hymn Amazing Grace were very influential in the life of Wilberforce, who became hugely influential in the major issues of the day, including the place of the Jewish people and the future state of Israel. Shortly after the abolition bill was passed, William Wilberforce became co-founder of the London Jews Society in 1809, later to become the Church Ministry Among Jewish People, CMJ, the ministry that administers the congregation we attend, Jerusalem's Christ Church. Wilberforce was persuaded of the significance of end-time Bible prophecies, along with men of the day like the eloquent preacher Charles Spurgeon and Christian Zionist bishop J.C. Ryle. Wilberforce believed in the return of Jews to the Holy Land and their subsequent rebirth. Being a leading member of Parliament and friend of Prime Minister William Pitt, Wilberforce influenced other politicians regarding the timely opportunity given to Britain to help the Jewish people to fulfill their God-ordained destiny. These evangelical efforts ultimately led to the Balfour Declaration of 1917, a public statement issued by the British government during the First World War, announcing Britain's support for the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in mandatory Palestine, the land of Israel. Well, the transforming power of the gospel expressed at that time in the hymn Amazing Grace had clearly played a key role to pave the way for the end-time miracle of the modern state of Israel. I hope you can see how important it is to accomplish exploits in these last days by being watchmen upon the walls of Jerusalem. Now at our website, exploits.tv, we have lots of timely articles and videos you can access free of charge with reports on Bible prophecy. 
I invite you to sign up for our weekly email at our website. And don't forget, we've uploaded a library of videos available 24-7 at our Jerusalem Channel app, at our website, and our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site. Have any questions? Feel free to contact me on social media. And so until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. I'm Christine Dark. Maranatha.